0: If you have a Bible, you might like to turn to the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. And um, whilst you're doing that, I would like to tell you about a Bible college professor who set his preaching class up in a rather unusual way. He said his students a, an assignment. What I want you to do, he said, was to prepare a message on the parable of the Good Samaritan, and you're going to preach it in front of a class. They thought that's fair enough. But on the day of the time that they were going to actually have to pre- preach this message, he arranged it so that certain students was, were at certain parts of the campus and having to race to a particular room in order to deliver this message that they had prepared. And for some, he made it that they didn't have to go too far. For others, they had to race across campus. Some had 10 minutes to get there, some only two or three. And what he did is he made sure that they all had to go down a certain corridor in order to get to the class where they were going to speak. And he had stationed someone, an old man, in this corridor looking rather disheveled, obviously in need of help. The interesting thing was that the students came in, and and, uh, when they arrived in the class and he was there, he then told them that the man had been positioned there. And then he found out, in actual fact, that those who had been under extreme pressure for time had not stopped. Those who had a little bit more time, so focused on preaching this message, they had overlooked the man in the corridor and still had come. Very few students actually stopped to help the old man. When they found out that, they realized that they had been racing to preach a message on the Good Samaritan, stepping over the beggar who was at the heart of the parable. And having said that, let's now read Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said. You can see him. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You can see him saying it, can't you? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify him, said, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. This parable is considered by many to be the most popular that Jesus ever told. It's important to realize that in actual fact, it is a, um, it's, it's not a fable like Gulliver's Travels. And it's not a story like the tortoise and the hare that has a moral to it. It's a very credible story that Jesus told. It takes place in real places with real people that his hearers could relate to. Samaritans were real then as they are today. They were real people. Jerusalem and Jericho are real places, some 28 kilometers away from each other. The road that Jesus referred to was well known to be rugged and hazardous and populated with thugs and thieves, most of whom were Samaritans, which made the point of a Samaritan helping a Jew even more impacting. It's not an allegory in that the characters in this parable don't have special meaning. Many of the early church fathers and leaders thought natural fact that it did, but we know now that Jesus was not referencing himself as the good Samaritan. The robbers, they were not the powers of darkness. The priest does not represent the law, and the Levite does not represent the prophets. The oil and wine are not supposed to stand for the sacraments of baptism and communion. The fact that the Samaritan paid the bill is not talking about Jesus dying on the cross paying for our sin. The fact that the Samaritan promised to come again is not referring to the fact that Jesus is returning again. The inn is not the church, the two coins are not the Old Testament the New Testament, and the four legs of the donkey are not the four Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. (laughs) But before we look at the parable and what it might be saying to us today, it's good to look at the context. Right. The lawyer who asked Jesus the question as to what do you have to do to have eternal life was an expert in the law. He knew the answer to the question before he even asked it. He was trying to test Jesus. Now, Jesus knew this. So, ask the lawyer, what is written in the law? How do you read it? The lawyer answers, well, love the Lord thy God with all the heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus said. Do this and you will live. The lawyer then wanting to justify himself, well, who's my, t- who's my neighbor? And it's to that question that Jesus answers. So Jesus was not discussing how to get saved, but he was helping the lawyer to see you have a problem in your heart. The lawyer had thought, look, if I, if I keep the law and, and do what's right, then I'm going to be okay. But Jesus said, no, 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 I'm revealing something in your heart that is lacking. And with that said, let's now look at the characters in this parable. Well, first up, we have the robbers, the robbers. Yeah, they lie in wait for those who are passing by, who are vulnerable, who might have something that they could steal. They are taking advantage of other people's vulnerabilities and show no remorse whatsoever for what they do. They're ruthless in their approach. Their reasoning for this kind of lifestyle is unknown. Maybe they had, you know, they were poor and destitute and needing to feed their family, or maybe they were just out to make a quick buck. We don't know. Then we're introduced to the traveler. Well, He is on a journey, and he's attacked and robbed. He's stripped of his clothes, left for dead. He is a Jew. Now, robbers in the Middle East were known to often beat their victims only if they resisted. So we could assume then that the man who was a traveler resisted. He wanted to keep that which was rightfully his and not going to hand it over to these robbers, so he succumbed to a, uh, a beating that was quite severe, obviously. Then we have the two that passed by, the priest and the Levite. The same day, these two men... Passed on the same road. The first was a priest who served in the temple offering sacrifices to the Lord. Now, when he saw this man lying on the road, he passed by. Now, I read this road is actually not all that wide. So, in order to pass by, it's thought that probably had to almost step over this dying man. The second passerby was a Levite. And he was responsible for taking care of the temple. He too saw the man and passed by. Now, these two are religious men, but they didn't stop. Maybe they were busy. Maybe checking out their social media, checking how many feeds, I don't know, we don't know. They just didn't notice. And Jesus has told us that we are to be the light of the world. And Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. The priest and Levite did not do that. They showed no mercy to the traveler at all. They were not prepared to do a good deed thereby not shining light to others, missing an incredibly great opportunity. Maybe it was because they're important people. They had places to be, people to see, appointments, meetings, couldn't be interrupted, we don't know. But that said, it would appear that as they were travelling from Jerusalem to Jericho, that they weren't necessarily going to perform any religious duty, because they were leaving where the temple was, heading away from that. So they weren't necessarily going to to do any sort of religious duty. You could argue that they're on a mission, yep, sure. But not God's. Not God's mission. Maybe to go home after having done their duty. And as they were travelling alone, it also points to the fact that they had already discharged their duty. Because prior to that, they would normally travel in groups to ensure that they remained accountable to each other, not to defile themselves before doing their religious duty. Once they haven't performed that, then they were free to disperse and go their various ways. They no doubt had good excuses for not stopping. They may have thought, this man is either dead or too far gone. I mean, what help could I do? I'm sorry, I'm not a one one man. <laughs> Gosh, you know, oh, well, life happens. Too bad, see ya, wouldn't want to be ya. Maybe they convinced themselves he was already dead. What could they do? But the amazing thing was, if that's the case, see, the rabbinical law actually stated as a priest, if you saw a dead body, a corpse, you were required to bury that. So it seems they were prepared to disobey the law in order not to get their hands dirty and to move on. Maybe they thought this looks like a recent attack. Look, the blood, it's still pooling. The robbers are probably still lurking in these rocks around me, and if I stay and stop and help, I'm likely to be set upon myself and end up lying right beside them, beaten and left for dead. It's possible that the priest and the Levite were not actually far from each other or as they were traveling on the same road. So that the Levite saw the priest step over and thought, well, if he's not going to stop, well, he's a priest, I'm not going to stop either. So it didn't stop. And that in itself, there's a lesson for you and I. The reality is, people are watching us. You know, this morning, when you jumped in your car and came here this morning, their neighbours knew that you were coming to church. I often think about that. Does my life line up with the words I say? Do I walk the talk, or do I just talk the talk? You know, people watch us in everything we do. Our lifestyles, do they line up? And within the context of a church, even, those who are leaders, you know, when we let our hair down, and think, oh, I'm not having to Not rostered today, people are watching and thinking, well, they take their cues from us as leaders and think what's right for them, it's okay for me. We know as a leader, we become incredibly copyable and quotable. Whether we're doing a rostered ministry or not. Someone once said, always live with the mic as if you have the microphone in your hand. Always live as though you have the microphone in your hand. What does that mean? Live like you're always on stage. Live like you're always on stage so that people can I'm off stage now, I can just relax. No, no, no. I'm on stage, live like I'm always on stage and that people are watching because I reflect Christ and people. It's easy to become a stumbling block to others. You know, as a parent, you know how easy, you know how quickly your children copy you and you think, where'd they get that foul attitude? That's demonic, it must be. <laughs> then you look in your mirror and you realize, that's oh, for me. <laughs> people are watching. Very little is private today. There are cameras everywhere. Everything you tap on, the click of a button, it's followed. there's a footprint. Okay, then we're introduced to the Samaritan. The Jews hated the Samaritans and the feeling was mutual. Jesus could have switched roles in this parable around and had it so that the Jew helped a Samaritan who had been beaten and left for dead. But that would only strengthen in the notion of the mind of the lawyer that, yeah, Jews are good and Samaritans are bad. The Samaritans saw the injured man and took pity on him. In other words, had compassion. Compassion moved him to action. Someone once said, compassion is where care and action collide. Compassion will cause us to rearrange our priorities. For the Samaritan, for him, his journey where he was going was not as important as the need right in front of him of this man who'd been left for dead. We have to see an interruption. Not another confounded nuisance this is. Gosh, I don't know. Not at all, but he saw it as an opportunity. And we've got to see interruptions as the potential to have a divine opportunity a divine appointment jesus life was full of moments when he was interrupted and moved by compassion in matthew 9 36 it tells us that he was moved by compassion and taught the crowds in matthew 14 14 compassion moved him to heal the sick in matthew 15 32 compassion caused him to feed the crowd of four thousand. in mark 14 sorry mark 4 41 he was filled with compassion and healed a leper And in Luke 7, compassion caused him to raise a widow's son from the dead. In fact, he did more miracles out of a desire or out of compassion in his heart than he did out of his desire to bring glory to his Father in heaven. And I believe in the same way, as we are moved by compassion, we too move the heart of God. We have to see interruptions as not confounded nuisances, but as opportunities. Opportunities to shine forth the light of God, to express the love of God to others who are in so desperate need, those who need healing and need to have compassion. We've got to see them as that, an opportunity for us to be exactly that and to draw people closer to Jesus as a result of our response to them. You know, we can be like the priest and the Levite, isolate ourselves, but Jesus has called us to people. As Robert Madu says this, if you're called to people, then you're called to problems because people bring problems. <laughs> God put us here to be a solution to people's problems. People and problems go together. The truth is, if we isolate ourselves, we still have problems. Why is that? Because when you look in the mirror, you're confronted with problems. (laughs) Your own. You know, compassion is a great motivator. Look what it did to the Samaritan and how he responded. First thing compassion does is it causes you to see a need. You know, the three people passed alongside the road and saw this man lying there, but it was only the Samaritan who looked closely enough and saw that he was in need and became aware of the need. Right. The second thing compassion does is it motivates us to move our hearts, not just to see the need, but then to me- he, he had pity on this man who was lying there. His heart went out to him as he saw the man suffering, and even though he knew that stop on the road could increase the risk of him being set upon by the robbers that were obviously lurking around, he potentially could have ended up in the same position, but he felt that that wasn't as bad as the fact that he could stop and help this man. He put his own self-interests to the side and did not act with caution, and you could argue, because of compassion. He focused on the other man rather than himself. Compassion also motivated the Samaritan to extend his hands, not only to see the need move his heart, but extend his hands. He felt sorry for him and wanted to help him, attempting him to relieve the man's suffering by pouring oil and wine onto his wounds and bandaging him. He didn't just leave him bandaged up, then propped up on the side of the road against a rock, thinking, "Okay, I've done my bit." But he took him to the nearest inn where he might care for him, and it would have meant he was even further inconvenienced because then he had to walk right. as he placed him on his own donkey. In one John three eighteen, it says, "Dear children, do not let us sorry let us not love with words or speech." but with action and in truth. To love might mean we actually have to get involved and get our hands dirty. Compassion also motivated him to pay a price. Rather than just dropping the man off at the door at the inn and it's now someone else's problem, I've done my bit, you know. He stayed with them overnight. Then, as he himself was on a journey, I imagine now somewhat delayed because of the situation, he left, paying the innkeeper to ensure the man's needs would continue to be met. Giving an undertaking, I'll be back in a few days to cover off any additional expenses you might incur as a result. It was a costly encounter. It cost us the maritime time. It cost him clothes. Why is that? Well, he would have probably ripped his clothes, you know, ripped his, I was going to say his blouse, ripped his, um, his uh, yeah, his, 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 I don't know if you could do that so much. You know in the movies, they always seem to be able to rip really easily, you know, and then they bandage up. But anyway, that's what they did. So he ripped his clothes. So he lost his clothes in the process. It cost him wine. It cost him oil. It cost him money. And Jesus finishes the parable by asking, Who did the right thing? Who was a neighbor to the traveler? Now, the lawyer had to admit that it wasn't the priest or the Levite, but the Samaritan. But such was his animosity towards the Samaritan that he wouldn't even say it was a Samaritan. He just said, The one who had mercy on him. Yeah. Jesus then says, Go and do likewise. So what are we to do with all this? Well, we're to be like the Samaritan to those who are in desperate need whom Jesus would place in our path if we're to take seriously his statement to go and do likewise. Yeah. Does it mean that every need we hear we have to meet? I don't believe so. We have to exercise discernment. A need does not constitute a call. There are countless needs It's all about hearing God's voice and responding to what he's calling us to do. The Samaritan helped the injured man right in front of him. He helped alleviate this man's pain, the one who's immediately in front of him. But he didn't then stop and go establish a hospital on that road for every unfortunate traveler that would pass on by in the future. Life is really about taking the opportunities that lie before us. At the end of our lives, we can see how effective they've been by looking back and seeing who's been blessed, who's been left better off because we passed by. You know, in life, we can look in a mirror and think, I actually don't have much to offer. I'm just me. I'm not particularly gifted. I don't have much to spare. I don't have much money. But it's not until a demand is placed upon us that we realize there is something in me that can be used to leave someone better off, to be a blessing. It's not until we're confronted with a wounded traveller or an opportunity, we pause long enough from our hectic and busy lives to see that something we could compassion rises within us and we realise, oh, I could do something about this situation. It's not until a demand is placed upon us that the ability in God rises within us to make a difference. Think for a moment about those who feel called to leave the shores of New Zealand to share the good news of Jesus Christ with those who live in other cultures and other countries. They don't see themselves as amazing superstars or incredibly gifted. Think for a moment the ones that we support as a church. Nick and Emily in Ethiopia. Andrew and Karen in Laos. Phil and Janet in South Sudan. Why do they do that? Why do they leave the comfort of their fire, lazy boy recliner, rocker and slippers in order to go? It's because, like many in this room today, they want to do something. They want to do something to leave someone better off. And they don't think it's right that people should go through life and not hear at least once there is a God in heaven who sent his Son, who loves them dearly, who is a God of mercy. And they no longer need to walk in darkness, but in light. God is indeed a merciful God. He does not deal with us as our lives deserve, but extends mercy towards us. President Calvin Coolidge was the President of the United States from 1923 through to 1929. And in the early days of his presidency, Coolidge awoke one morning to find that in his hotel room there was a burglar rifling through the pockets of his jacket that was sitting over the couch. Coolidge spoke to him, asking the burglar not to take the watch and chain because it had been engraved and was special for him. The burglar said he wouldn't. And then he, he took his wallet, he encouraged him and told him not to take his wallet either because that was also very precious. And then started engaging this burglar in conversation. It turned out he was a student who was staying in the hotel who could not afford the fare back to campus nor the hotel room. So Coolidge counted out $32 from his wallet and gave it to him, saying to him, it is a loan. And then encouraged him to leave the room via a certain way so that he wouldn't be arrested by the Secret Service. He felt that he didn't want to see him arrested. Now, it was an act of mercy on behalf of the president, you'll agree. Yeah. He had every right to have him arrested, but he didn't. And if you're wondering, yes, the young man did in actual fact repay the loan, apparently. But we are called to mission to show the mercy of God. Matthew 28, 18 to 20, the last words Jesus spoke in the gospel. said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. In the going, we are confronted with the needs of others to show mercy, to help them with their problems. We are called to show mercy and to, in so doing, emulate Jesus, who is mercy personified. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. And as we show mercy, we in turn will receive so much back. Because as you sow, we also reap. I read this week of Dr. Vincent Senna, who on a Saturday night and Thanksgiving weekend in 1942 was sitting down to enjoy a dinner at a popular restaurant called Coconut Grove when his pager went off and uh, a patient had gone into labour. Grumbling and complaining, Dr. Senna raced to the hospital in time to deliver a baby. And as it turned out, in all probability, in time to save his own life. Because just after he left that restaurant, for unknown reasons, the Coconut Grove restaurant burst into flames. And over 450 people died in the smoke and in the fire. The interruption that ruined his meal, in all probability, saved his life. As he gave, he reaped. The truth is there are people out there who are suffering. Moved by compassion for their pain, let's ensure that we are people who stop on the path of life and minister Jesus to them. The Bible shows us that love is able to be seen. You know, the greatest expression of love, Jesus dying on the cross, was very, very public. Love is very tangible. It can be as much as a man on the path of life that we gather up and help, and 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 like the Good Samaritan did, or a cup of cold water, as Matthew 10:42 talks out, given in the name of Jesus. How are we living our lives? Are we so engrossed in all we're doing, caught up in our work, wrapped up in worry, distracted by all that's going on, paying no attention whatsoever to the needs of others, neglect the fallen on the path of life? Or are we interruptible? In Acts chapter 3, we read of Peter and John who are going to the temple to pray. And on the way, there's a, be- a-, a beggar there who's asking for money. And they stopped and looked at him and said, for crying out loud, can't you see we're God's anointed? Can't you see we're going to a prayer meeting? Can't you see we're leaders in the church? Can't you see we've got no money? We're going to go and pray. In fact, you need to be in the temple and pray too. (laughs) They didn't say that. What they said: Look, we don't have silver and gold, but what we do have, we want to share with you. In the name of Jesus, they take him by the hands and pull him up. Strength comes into his ankles, and he's able to stand and leaps and starts praising God. His life was changed from evermore. They shared what they had, but they were interruptible. So, bringing this to a conclusion. Think about the robbers for a moment. They weren't prepared to work for themselves, to earn an income. All they wanted to do was to take what wasn't theirs. Their philosophy was, what is yours is mine, and I'm going to take it. They weren't prepared to make any effort to better themselves in any way, shape, or form, taking what wasn't theirs and keeping it for themselves. And I'm sure there is nobody in this room today with that kind of attitude. Thank you, David. Contrast that with the attitude of the priest and the Levite. They lived with an attitude that's, what's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. Right. It wasn't the robber's attitude of, what's yours is mine, and I'm going to take it. But it's, what's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. Right. They weren't prepared to be interrupted, too busy, or to help others because of the cost. Not prepared to bless others with the blessing they had first had received. They had a, what's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it attitude. It's possible in the room today, some of us are like that we hold tightly to what we have, it's my stuff I worked hard for it it's a get your own attitude that we've got not one of being a steward of what we have, knowing that it all belongs to him anyway and we have been blessed in order to be a blessing, Genesis 12 1 refers to that, we are blessed to be a blessing to share what we have with others yeah. then there's the Samaritan on the other hand, he didn't have a what's yours is mine and I'm taking it, nor what's mine is mine and I'm keeping it attitude. But he had, what's mine is yours and I'm going to share it. That was the kind of attitude he has. He was prepared to be a blessing to others. He was prepared to share what he had to help others along the path of life. And that's what it is to be on mission, to be a blessing to others. That's what it is to show mercy, is to be a blessing to others. And on the journey of life, we'll be confronted with people who are lying in front of us by the wayside, robbed by everyday life, struggling to get by. We have a choice, to use our lives to be a blessing to others or to keep our heads down and pretend we didn't see with blinkers on. Jesus' instruction is clear. We are to be, as the Samaritan, to love, to go, and do likewise. So let's ensure that we see the need and allow our hearts to be moved, and extend our hands, and use that which we have, the resources that the Lord has given us at our disposal, to be a blessing to others, to leave people better off, to show God's love in the light of Christ. Allow that to be reflected in our lives. Yeah, Matthew 5.16 encourages us to do that. Let's ensure that we let our light shine before others, that they may see our good deeds, and glorify our Father in heaven.